James chapter 5 today. We're going to read verses 16 through 18 together. If you think you can handle it, let's stand while we read these verses. And I'm going to have my mom come up and pray over our time together after we're done reading this text. So come on up, mom. Verses uh, 16 through 18, James chapter 5. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Lord, even just praying for Nepal and just out of the scriptures, out of the um, instruction you've given us, Lord, that, um, that we could even pray that the monsoons would stop, God. And, but Lord, you have a mighty work you want to do among your people, God. You have given us this incredible um, communication with you, this ability to communicate with the creator of the universe, God. And Lord, I just pray that you would anoint Rory to teach, God, that you would unstop our ears to hear, God, that we would be taken to a much deeper level of prayer and commitment to prayer and passion for prayer than we ever even dreamed possible, God, as we think about how our prayers and our praises are sweet incense to you, God. We just say, Lord, take us deep today in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> We're looking at the second half of verse 16 today, not because we don't care about the first half, but we looked at that a little more in depth last week, and we'll come back around the horn and look at it at the end of our teaching today. But the text is that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Oh, that the Lord would move us towards effective prayer lives this week, move us towards fervent prayer life, and it's interesting in the Greek, effective and fervent are actually one word together. It's the word energeo. Do you like that? Energeo. You know, I love when the foreign words from the scriptures are so much like our English words. I feel like I'm living in the big fat Greek wedding, you know, and the dad's like, every word that we have in English comes from the Greek, you know, and then he squirts his elbow with Windex or whatever it was that he did. But, but this effective fervent, is, it's one word meaning a functional prayer, a working prayer, a powerful prayer an energeo prayer, an energetic prayer. And the fervency added to it speaks of just a prayer life that is a hot prayer life. Throughout the scriptures and throughout even our own language, fervent speaks of hot. Something that's so hot that it causes even something that is solid to melt and to turn into liquid. You know, since I was probably 15 years old, I've welded, and uh, I've always loved just being able to go and to have this cold steel and to be able to take a torch to it 
And just with the heat of the acetylene and oxygen mixing into the flame, you're able to, within a, a split second, slice a piece of steel in half. And in the midst of that, that steel goes from cold to so boiling hot that it could just melt away. That's an incredible thing to experience, to, to weld something and to arc something so that, uh, so that you, you can bring two pieces of metal together to be one. That is fervent heat. And maybe you're here today, and if you're honest, you come in here like, at best, your religion is cold. Stone cold. I mean, just be honest before the Lord today. Just the care that you have for the things of the Lord could be greater. The care that you have to be here. And, and if God would move today to spend the rest of the day here among the presence of the Lord and among his people, I'd rather not. <laughs> Thank you. Or to spend time in deep, long hours of prayer Check, please. Like, can I get out of here? Maybe you're just cold when it comes to those things. And there is hope by the gospel. There is hope by the Spirit of God today that you would be made hot. That you would be made hot for the Lord. The Lord wants us to be hot today. He wants us to be either hot or he wants us to be totally cold. In the book of Revelation, he writes to the church in Laodicea and he says, but you know what? You're not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. You're right in the middle where you're not full on denying me as God or Lord of your life, but you're not living for me either. And you know what? I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, you're kind of tepid. I will vomit you out of my mouth. What does that tell you about a lukewarm condition? It is not pleasing to the Lord. He'd rather you just were not if you're not going to be. This goes for children, teenagers. This goes for moms and dads. This goes for middle age. This goes into retired, if you're retired. This is for you. Are you cold? At least you know you're cold. Are you hot? Praise God. But if you're in this middle ground where you're playing games with God and you're, you're fooling everybody, the Lord's like, man, just go ahead and deny me. Because that's what's going to happen eventually. I'm going to deny you. Or, by his grace, you could hear the call of the Holy Spirit today and allow him to come into your life with the fire of God and heat you up with the arc welder of the Holy Spirit and make you pop and sizzle and melt before his throne. He wants that for you today. In the book of Romans, Paul says that we're to not lag in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Such a passage, this was for me when I taught through Romans a few years ago. As Christians, we're called to be diligent. We are not called to be slackers. Paul tells Timothy, be diligent to show yourself approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And here at Calvary Chapel, we want to rightly divide the word of truth. We want to plow straight lines through the scripture. We love the word of God. It is our authority it is profitable for 
doctrinal truth. It is profitable for correcting and reproving in our life. And it is profitable to equip us so that the man of God might be trained up for the works of the ministry and the women of God as well. We love the word of God. And so we are not lagging in diligence. But what happens so often in many camps is people that cling tightly to the word, they believe there's no need for the spirit. We don't, we don't need the spirit. We don't need fresh wind, fresh fire, the power. Because we have just the word. And we're just going to kind of sit here and do Bible studies all the time. And while it is good to be diligent in the word, it's not one or the other. God also calls us to be on fire for him, fervent in spirit. The word fervent in Romans is the Greek word zeo, where we get our word zealous. He wants us to be zealous for him. And it's translated enthusiastic. Enthusiasm in our walk with the Lord. Enthusiasm in the context of James. Enthusiastic in our prayer lives. And I just want to share a little bit of my testimony. You know, I was raised in the church. I believe I was born again as a little, as a little kid. I mean, I would preach to hired men when I was six years old, seven years old, out on our ranch as they came to get fuel in their tractors. I would preach. I would talk to people about the rapture and Jesus' return on the school bus as I drove a Maxbox car over the back of the seat. And, you know, Jesus is coming back for all of us, you know, and, and all of that. But then there were just years in my life where I was lukewarm at best. And I used to hide my cowboy boots thinking that if I didn't have cowboy boots, I wouldn't have to go to church. And my mom was like, well, you can put tennis shoes on then. Uh, you know, and church just began to be a drag. And I remember my birthday fell on a Sunday once, and I secretly loaded my bike up into the back of the car so that after Sunday school was over, I would skip the big service and just go live for myself that Sunday. And my mom's like, why are you unloading your bike? Oh, because I thought I'd leave church after. She's like, oh, no, you're going with us. And then it began that, you know, I would see God move. I watched him miraculously heal my dad of Hodgkin's disease, like in a day, split second, healed from, from a diagnosis of death. But I also just would go to church because I had a homeschooled girlfriend, and she, that's the only place I could see her at church, <laughs> was at church, you know, even though we were forbidden to see each other, but you can't forbid love. I'm just letting you, okay, it was, you know. <laughs> And so church was just about, you know, get to see her and I get to kind of flirt and this and that. And like, maybe the pastor will do something crazy, like knocking people down in the spirit or whatever, you know, that's why I'm going to go. And I was 14 years old when I was invited to go to a camp, a camp with a church called Calvary Chapel of Corvallis. And there happened to be a revival going on among high schoolers and middle schoolers at this time. One of the kids, his name was Joe Clare. He was 15 years old. He was an incredible skateboarder, uh, but he was also into drugs and partying, and he was a womanizer. He got saved that summer, like radically saved to where he went back home as the popular kid and starts preaching the gospel. A lot of people get saved, but a lot of people also said, you're crazy, man. I don't ever want to see you again. But the Lord began to do a work in the youth, and my sister was kind of the one that brought me into that, where there was a camp that summer where everyone at the camp got a red t-shirt, and it had an orange emblem on it that said, on fire. And I'll never forget that, because it was at this camp that the Lord set youth on fire for him. 
He poured out his spirit on a bunch of kids just like me where we were like, oh no, it's Sunday. Oh, you know, like, oh, let's have family devotion time and pray. Oh, you know. And he just poured himself out on us in such a way that we were taken out of being lukewarm at best into being popping, sizzling, hot for him. And I'm telling you, he did such a work that kids would go home to parents that were getting divorced and parents would get saved through their kids and come to church. This was how God built Calvary Chapel of Corvallis, through the, a revival in the youth. And the Lord got a hold of me at this camp And he took me from being complacent and lukewarm to where I began preaching the gospel in my school. In math class, my teacher was a Christian, and he said, as long as you're not interrupting my lectures, you preach the gospel here as much as you can. And so in class, I'm like preaching the gospel to everybody in my, like open, like we're having conversations about Jesus here. I've been given the floor. I'm challenging my biology teacher there about evolution and calling him to come and study the Lord. Like, this is all happening in school. We began a Bible study where a hundred kids would come and gather and listen to the word of God. And people would get saved as they're walking through this open area. People would get saved and this would grow. People would uh, stand up on picnic tables and preach the gospel out in the outdoor area. And people were getting saved. It was a revival. It was a work of the Spirit. And that revival is continuing to this day in Corvallis. As disciples have been made, those disciples have carried the torch, carried the torch. It's the same stuff is happening. God is working to this day. And I can tell you, you guys, as someone who's been where you're at of, I can think of other things I'd rather be doing than being with Jesus right now. He wants to take you to where you are consumed with him with a passion where your life is spent for his glory. And he wants to give you the power. He wants to make you hot for him. He wants to make you zealous for him. He wants to make you enthusiastic for him. And yet many people that kind of swing over here into the enthusiasm, they say, we don't need the word of God. I've got my enthusiasm. I'm just going to go crazy. And you know what? That leads to error. It's, It's been said that the word without the spirit of God, and you'll dry up. The spirit without the word of God, you'll blow up. But the word and the spirit, not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, you will grow up. And that's what we aim here at Calvary is to to be in the word of God and let it to rule our lives. But to let the spirit of God be behind that, moving us, being the wind in our sails, bringing the power, the dynamite power to live for him and to be witnesses enthusiastic in our walk with the lord high schoolers middle schoolers is that you with jesus are you enthusiastic for jesus yes praise god was that a high schooler you're not in middle school gail single moms single dads college students Returning missionaries. Are you zealous for Jesus? Or now that you've returned, like, I'm going to take a break now. No! Moms and dads of five kids. Are you enthusiastic? And I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker, like, really get it going, guys, get it going. No. The Lord wants to pour himself out here. He wants to bring that by his grace as we respond to Jesus, as we respond to the gospel. But... 
I don't want to get away from our context. The context here is prayer. The context here is enthusiastic prayer, on fire prayer. And I would say that our Wednesday night prayer meeting here at the church and Bible study is enthusiastic prayer. Wouldn't you that come to that? I mean, we're here and we're worshiping and we'll have times of let's pray out just in line of this worship song. And you don't got to wait five minutes for someone to be like, and, 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 Lord, and Lord. And, you know, like, you don't got to worry about that. Like, people are like, Lord, we pray right now. Oh, you know, it's just like there is fire. Like, people are praying. And then we go to pray for the nations and we come up here in a circle and we hold arm in arm and there is just prayer after prayer after prayer for whatever nation that we're praying for. It is enthusiastic prayer. Praise God. But in Colossians we read of a man, a brother in the Lord named Epaphras, who's one of us, he's a bondservant of Christ, that he would labor fervently in prayers. And that word labor fervently, means it's the Greek word agonizo. Sometimes prayer is agony. Sometimes prayer is rolling up your sleeves and getting down and doing business for the Lord. It is laboring, as Spurgeon said, it is hammering your heart on the anvil of prayer until it beats hot. You come to a prayer meeting, you don't want to be there. There's other things you can do. You got a list at work a mile long. There's other things. And it's a labor. And maybe the whole entire time it might be a labor, although God often provides the grace and and just makes our heart warm toward prayer in those times. But I really feel like for the last five years, for five years, the Pulse prayer meeting on Thursday night, it was more of agonizo. You know, like we would come diligently and sometimes there'd be three, sometimes there'd be 13, sometimes there'd be 40. But we would show up and we would pray And we loved each other, and it was fun, and it was sweet. But it was more like, we're going to labor in prayer right now. And we've got an hour and a half that we are going to pray as a church, and we are going to do business in prayer with the Lord. And there'd be times that it's like, only an hour's gone by, and you're like, we still got a half an hour. Just like push into prayer, and just push into ministering to the Lord, and supplicating, and interceding. But you know what? There's a place for agonizo in prayer. And there's a place for for enthusiasm in prayer. Sometimes they're together, sometimes they're separate. But for those that got together for five years on a Thursday night to pray that God would make this church a praying church, and for five years we got together and prayed for God to do something with missions work globally in our church... I've been able to look Barb in the eye and look at Paul and say, hasn't God answered our prayers from those long times of agonizing? He has done it and he's doing it. And God took us from a place of agonizo on Thursday night to Wednesday night energizo. That's Wednesday night. Don't miss out on Wednesday night. And maybe for you, getting away from whatever it is that you're doing to be a part of the midweek gathering of the church that is a very biblical practice, you will need to do a little agonizo. You will need to suffer a little. You will need to labor a little bit. You will need to strain as Epaphras to be here and to press in. But I promise you, God will move you from agonizo to energeo. He will bring the energy. 
R.A. Torrey said in the late 1800s, a revival leader, when the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. We're seeing that here. Just people are being brought out of darkness and into the light. The enemy is losing footholds in this church and in this community. He worries. Just as in Revelation chapter 13, the devil knows that his time is limited. And then the great tribulation begins where he really starts sucker punching people. He knows that here too. He knows his days around this church are nearing an end. When people know how to pray and when people do pray and when people come together corporately as a church to pray... Watch out. He is going to move. Effective prayer, man, it must be fervent. Not because we want to manipulate God with our emotions or emotionally persuade God, but because we will gain God's heart by being fervent for the things he is fervent for. That's why praying for the nations has been so much energy. Because those are the things that he's fervent for. When we pray for things that the Lord's like, look, I care, but that's not my main aim. Get on page with my main aim and I will move in your midst and I will provide the 20 grand to send over there and I will provide more than that to get a team over there and I'm going to do it. Be about what I'm about. And he provides the energy. But notice that all of this effective, fervent prayer, it's not just prayer from anybody I know a whole lot of Mormons that are fervent in prayer. I know a lot of Buddhists. I know a whole lot of alcoholics, you know, who are just unrepented in their sin. I know a whole lot of prisoners that are unrepented in their sin. They are just prayer. No, it's prayers of righteous men and women, James tells us. Prayers of a righteous man. Are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? Look what Paul said in Philippians 3. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee, his life's work and ambition was to try to keep every bit of the law. What a fun job he had. And he worked and he had the right genealogy, he had the right DNA, he had the right religious labors and all of this stuff. But finally when it came down to when he met Jesus, he said, I indeed also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, Paul, when his name was Saul, he was laboring to be self-righteous, I'm going to work and I'm going to try and I'm going to give my life's ambition to keep the law of Moses and to be a religious man. But when he met God and had an encounter with the grace of God, he realized that all of his labor was rubbish. It was like a dunghill is what the translation speaks of. And he was able to turn and lay aside self-righteousness for the righteousness that comes from God. And notice he says there, it's through the conduit of faith. Through the conduit of faith. So I ask you today, are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? I'm not asking if you're an American. 
I'm not asking you if you've attended church every Sunday your entire life. I'm not asking if you're religious or if you voted. Like, I'm asking, have you been made righteous by Jesus through faith? Or are you trusting in your own righteousness, coming from your own laboring and struggling to do good things that at the end of the day, you just hope that at the end of the day, you've done more good things than you've done bad things. I listen to a podcast at night to, to put myself to sleep, uh, and it's listening to uh, veterans of foreign war, and they kind of tell their stories, and puts me to sleep, so <laughs> you listen to it, you know, but it's good, good stories, but... One of the guys that I recently listened to, his name was Hal Moore, and he's the guy from uh, We Were Soldiers, you know, and Mel Gibson movie. Uh, Mel Gibson played him in the movie, and as I'm listening to his story, he's a, an older man now, uh, he tells his life story that he has always been a devout Catholic. And, he, and he's talking, and, and he's being interviewed, and he talks about faith in his life, and he begins to say something that I'm, I'm hoping, like this is going in a good direction. He says, you know, I'm realizing through my life that this life is so temporary. This life is so temporal. Everything is just fading away and lives are snuffed out in a battle or in an instant or, or you know, even on your best day, on your best health. It, life is so temporary. And I'm like, preach it, Hal. You know, I'm like, yeah. And then he says, and so I've resolved as a Catholic to try to do as much good as I possibly can, hoping that by the end of my life it outweighs my bad and I'll be let in. Boy, that is, that is the story of the man in the cubicle next to you guys and the man turning the wrench next to you. That's the story of the, the lady at the checkout line. That's the story of some of you here today. Maybe believing there's a God. Maybe believing that there's an eternity. Maybe believing that life is temporal. Just hoping that by the time your, your number's up, that you've done more good than bad and you'll be let in. Guys, that is a religious, moralistic, self-righteous trusting in yourself. And you will go to hell. And as you're up there in heaven trying to flap your mouth about God and tell about all the good things you've done and how many old ladies you've walked across the street, God is going to shut your mouth and you're going to be found a liar, Romans says. And it will be known before God who searches the heart that inside your heart you are a wicked, wicked man and woman to the core. And you rejected your whole life the source of righteousness that doesn't come from working and trying hard. It comes from realizing that you are bankrupt and that he has the treasures and wealth of rightness. And just to come to the treasure, to come to Jesus, and to let him put upon you all of his perfection, and all of his obedience, and all of his righteousness. How many will be found on that day, flapping their mouth before God, and have them shut, and be shown that they're a liar. The Bible says that books will be opened in heaven. I believe some of those books will be the, just the Bible. One of them is just like, here, look at your life in comparison to the Bible. One of those books will be the law of Moses. Look at, look at this. Do you see how you've broken almost every single law here? You are unrighteous. And Revelation tells us that the final book to be opened is called the book of life. And anyone whose name is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. 
Are you righteous here today? Teenagers, are you righteous? Men and women, are you righteous? Or are you self-righteous? Which is not right at all. I think Kevin taught this passage in James chapter 2 that whoever keeps the whole entire law, their whole life, they're 79 years old, they've kept every single commandment my whole entire life, and then I stumbled in one area. You're guilty of breaking it all. There goes 79 years of working down the drain. And you know what? There's not one person that makes it to 79. They barely make it past the first side of a cookie jar before they're over there breaking every commandment known to God. Paul tells the Romans that righteousness is of God and it's through faith in Jesus and it is to all and on all who believe. Do you believe today? But not only do you need to be made righteous, born again, transformed in your heart by the gospel and filled with the spirit to be able to have new affections and a new love. But you also, as a Christian, need to walk in righteousness for your prayers to be effective and fervent. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So as we get all excited about effective, fervent prayer, if you're walking in sin and honoring sin with your actions, with your life, with your heart, those prayers are not effective. They're not fervent. They're unheard. They're unheard. James 4 says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. But you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That's unrighteousness. And he goes on in the next verse to say that's love of the world. You can't be a friend of God and be a friend of the world. Can't love God and love the world. The system of this world that is wicked and evil. You want your prayers to be heard? Get the heart of God. Then your prayers will be heard. John tells us in 1 John 3, whatever we ask, we receive from him. But don't put a per period there. There's a comma. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You want to have effective, fervent prayers? You need to be a righteous man or woman. First of all, you need to be born again. Second of all, having the spirit of God in you with a new heart, after being born again, you will want to be keeping the commandments of God. You'll just want to. And you'll just begin doing it. God will work that out as a fruit just naturally pops off the apple tree. So too will righteous acts and keeping the commandments just pop off of your life. There's another thing the scripture says hinders your prayer life. And it's a word to the husbands. Peter tells us that if a husband is not dwelling with his wife, his prayers are not answered. And I'm not talking about army soldiers, you know, that got to go to battle. And I'm not talking about, you know, um, you know, traveling, you know, workers or something like that. What we see here is this is a man who's not dwelling with his wife and he's hostile to her. He's not working on the marriage to understand her so that he can love her and lay his life down for her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. 
And so men that are treacherous to their wives, it says their prayers are hindered. Men that don't give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, your prayers are hindered. Let's look at the amplified version of our text, and I've got it up there for you. It says that the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Got to love the amplification, taking from the Greek lexicon there. Heartfelt, continued praying makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The Phillips translation writes it this way. Tremendous power is made available through a good man's earnest prayer. You know, God has just been making much power available here. As we've prayed and as we continue to pray and as we fast and we continue to fast and Wednesdays there's fasting happening now for our church and for Nepal and the direction of the church we've seen God completely change our church overnight last year to have like a cold heart for global evangelism and world missions to just being every person of this church hot in prayer for the nations Giving for the nations, praying for the nations, going for the nations. If they're not going for the nations, it, they can speak just as if they went there. You hear Paul do an announcement last week? Paul spoke about Nepal as if he had been there. He knew exactly what the problem was, the urgent physical need and the urgent spiritual need. He had been down here three times a day while we were in Nepal leading prayer meetings here. That guy was just as much a missionary as any of the boots on the ground trekking in the Himalayas. That's what God has been doing as we have earnestly prayed that God would change our heart for the nations. Men who in core groups would say, I will never leave America. Now are saying, I think God's calling me and my family to move to Nepal. That's what God does. In fact, speaking of Nepal, when we were going to Nepal, we had, you know, was it 20 people lined up in front of the checking counter giving our pa- I hand a stack of passports over and I say, here we are. And the phone app says, flight's on schedule. Hand the passports over and they say, your flight was just canceled. So there's snow in Chicago. And right now you're on United Air and you got to get to Chicago and your next flight is Turkish Air and they're going to leave without you. And, and we're a different airline. Like, you got to figure out how to get a hold of Turkish Air. And basically, we were being told, like, they're not going to refund a flight for you guys. You're not going to Nepal. And so, you know, after a lot of phone calls and all of this rigmarole, our insurance said, well, you've got a certain amount of money per night and food and hotel. So we would go and we feasted together and we ate. And and it got to be that we were tired of feasting together. We didn't want to be here. We wanted to be over there serving God. And uh, I'm sitting there at Buffalo Wild Wings with the group and I'm mowing down a nice chicken wing. And the Lord says, the only way this is going to change and you're going to get anywhere is you've got to go to prayer right now as a group. And I just felt such an urgency. It was almost like the chicken wing just like had no taste to it anymore. It's like, we got to go pray. And so we called a prayer meeting and we circled up at the embassy suites in the bar. You know, we're like, we're going to take over here. We circled up and we just started praying. And as we're praying, we started out praying like, we trust you, Lord. 
You've been so good this whole time and shown yourself faithful, providing for us to be even here. You've done such a work in our heart and such a work in Prineville and people rallying as a community to, and having a mind for the nations. Like, if this is it, Lord, we trust you. And just prayers of thanksgiving like that. And then just as we're praying, just the Lord just sinks onto my heart that you need to pray right now that Chris from your travel agency will get on the phone with the higher-ups at Turkish Air and United Airlines. And I just prayed out, Lord, put him in on the phone right now with the high-ups at Turkish Air and United Airlines. And while we're praying, I get a call from his assistant. First time in a day and a half that they've even been on the phone talking to anybody. They've been on hold for a day and a half. And I get on the, on the phone, and she says, wheels are in motion. Chris is on the phone with the vice president of ticket sales for Turkish Airline and United Airlines. Wheels are in motion. That like moved us to pray even more. So we just keep praying, keep praying. And then the Lord said, I want you to call it. And I just felt urgently to pray. Lord, in one hour, after a day and a half of being stranded, in one hour, God, let us have tickets in hand that were no one were taken off and we'll have hope. And then we went to pray, and then we went to do in our drama practice. You know, you guys saw it, and you know. And, and then my phone went off, and it was uh, mission travel, and they said, "We've got the tickets. You guys are ready to go." And we all were looking for a clock, and we're like, "That was 46 minutes ago. That was 46 minutes ago." The effective, fervent prayer of righteous men and women avails much. And then we went around Nepal and we were praying for the people and we would come across shrines and darkness and demonic stuff. And we just, unbeknownst to each, each team, we just began praying, crumple this temple, crumple this temple, demolish this, give them no hope in these idols. They are dead idols. Mouths they have, but they do not speak. Ears they have, but they do not hear. You're the living God. Crumple these idols, crumple these temples, crumple these temples. You know, we're just one of centuries of people, I'm sure, that have been praying, crumple, crumple, crumple. And in a month of returning and fasting as a church on Passion Week for what is God's heart for Nepal next, one week after the fast ended, a 7.8 earthquake in which temples fell down, villages of idolatry were demolished, and the high places were shaken. And Aaron had an article. I wanted to get it before so I could read it, but Aaron passed on an article that um, specifically by a secular source, one of these big, incredibly important temples have been demolished and nobody's been able to worship around there. That is what we prayed. Uh, my trekking team, we were um, invited into a lama's house, a Buddhist lama, the spiritual leader of the region. We were invited into his house to stay the night. We're sleeping in the Buddhist shrine room. You know, there's, there's these demon, demon faces, demon faces, you know, there's artwork of demons, there's the, you know, there's the Buddha, there's the holy scriptures inside here. There's, I have my feet up on the platform where the Lama sits and gives his little sermons, and I'm like, I hope this is okay, but, you know, and, and we snuck away, uh, and we went and we prayed over the monastery. We claim that place for Jesus, that this would be a church one day. This would be a place where the gospel is preached. And we prayed over the Lama and his family uh, that he would be saved, that they would be saved. And then we had to leave and go back, and we trekked back the next day down to our Jeep. And who is waiting at the Jeep for us but this Lama? Actually, the Lama's brother, they both were Lamas. I wish they called it something else, I'm sorry. It means something different here. <laughs> Emperor's new groove, what? You know? 
<laughs> so the llama is there, and he's needing a ride in our Jeep. And so we, we place him inside the Jeep, and he sits next to my father-in-law, Ken, and for four hours going over four-by-four four terrain, my father-in-law seizes the moment immediately and begins preaching the gospel to this guy. For four hours, this man humbly receives uh, the word. And by that, I don't mean that he's, he's born again yet, but he heard what my father-in-law was saying, and he asked questions. And my father-in-law was able to pray with him, and that's an insult to even ask to pray for a llama, but this man received prayer, and then even received prayer again, and he asked that in this prayer, will you ask that I would understand who Jesus is and what he's, what he's saying here? And then he took the Gospel of John and said that he would read it. And then just a matter of a month later, you know, the earthquake happened. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman avails much. We got back from Nepal and we were crying out one night specifically praying for uh, the sex trafficking industry, that the Lord would crush that and, and crumple that. And as we got in the circle and we're holding hands and we're praying, I just felt stirred by the Lord that I was supposed to pray that a certain number of victims would be released. And I actually prayed that. I said, Lord, I just pray that today a certain number of victims would be released. And the Lord's like, that dog don't hunt. He's like, you really are going to say a certain number? I guess you'd take credit if a certain number got, you know. And I was like, okay, you know. And, and the Lord was like, say a number. And I'm and just hearing him, like, five. Lord, let five traffic victims be released. Aaron calls me the next day. He's like, have you been watching the news? Five trafficking victims were released in Tennessee as a brothel was raided. Five victims are free. Praise God, right? I mean, we don't know what we're doing here. That's not Rory. We're just reading the word and we're obeying it and we're hearing the promptings of the Lord that are not contrary to the word of God and we're doing it. And we're stirred to be more specific in our prayers, to pray, stop the monsoon season in Nepal. The Lord could do it. We believe he could do it and we're asking him to do it. I was reminded in my study of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s, almost lived the whole century of the 1800s, a Christian evangelist and the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage. In his life, he cared for 10,000 orphans, but he's well known for providing education to uh, orphans, 120,000 orphans being educated in school. But in this, you guys probably know some of the stories of George Mueller. One of the stories is that all the kids were coming in for breakfast one day, and hundreds of kids in an orphanage. And as they came and they sat down uh, in the cafeteria, there was no food in the cupboard. Old Mother Hubbard had gone to the cupboard, and there was nothing there. And, and as they, he believed that God could move and could act, they blessed the food, believing that God was going to act. And when they said amen, there was a knock at the door and the baker showed up with enough bread to feed all of the kids. Then there was also no milk and they had prayed that God would provide the milk. And while the baker is there, here comes the milkman. He had just broken down on the street in front of, uh, in front of the orphanage and he had to get this milk in the bellies of kids before it rotted in his car. 
the Lord provided in incredible ways through building structures on these orphanages that were like emergency heat situations. And God would move on uh, through George's prayers. God would move uh, that, that contractors would come in and they would be stirred to stay up all night fixing the orphanage up for it to be safe for children. Just incredible stories. You ought to read the biography of George Mueller. But our heritage, you know, we, our heritage and, and people we know, I know that love the Lord, we're stirred by that faith. We're stirred by the faith of a man like Elijah. You know, we were meeting in Calvary Corvallis. We were meeting in a senior center. And we began to outgrow the senior center. So we went and we went to a high school. And then after we met for four years in a high school auditorium, they were doing um, building repair there. And, and we were kicked out of the high school. And then we went into a middle school, and we met in a middle school for four years until they realized, you know what, the kids can't meet in the middle school because it's not earthquake safe. Why do we let a church there? So they gave us a deadline. We had nowhere to go as a church of about 800 people. And that same time, a gal came from the church as a real estate agent, and she said, there are three feuding siblings living in North Corvallis that their parents just died, and they've got 56 acres uh, that they want to just get rid of because they can't stand each other. And so... So we made an offer, and all three of them concurred that the offer was good. And, of course, we prayed that their relationship would be healed. But God gave us 56 acres for a church uh, in Corvallis to make disciples in Corvallis. And so got to be a part of the building process there of, of building the church. Uh, we'll be going there in July, men. That's an announcement for a later date. But going to this church. And, um, you know, to have such a facility, you have to have a certain number of gallons per minute for fire issues um, not to mention all the irrigation that needs to be done there, but um, all the houses around this uh, property were getting 10 gallons a minute. And we needed 100 gallons a minute for this church to function and to be up to code. And so we went to prayer. We went to prayer. And Joe Claus, who was the uh, church building contractor there, uh, he met with the well diggers. And they said, how much do you hope to get out of this? As they did their test, you know, and he's like, 100 gallons. And the guy laughed like you know everybody around here gets 10 gallons a minute right he's like we need we need 100 gallons a minute to function here they did the test they figured it all out it was 100 gallons a minute that's how the lord works you guys we also were having our grand opening ceremony and chuck smith had flown up to come and kind of i don't know what you call it dedicate the building or whatnot but you know you contractors would know more than me but if i'm remembering the story right to have like our code all done, the parking lot lights needed to be illuminated for all these people to be coming in there. And, uh, and the parking lot lights had not been uh, set up yet or wired yet. And, uh, and so we were like, man, Chuck's here tomorrow, and what are we going to do? And we just went to prayer, and the Lord woke up a, an electrician in the middle of the night who owns a company, and the Lord said, you need to get down there tomorrow, and you need to do all of the electrical work on these parking lot lights for free. And so he brought his whole crew down there. They got all the electrical, put in these parking lot lights, and we were able to have the dedication. Things like, does the Lord even care about the dedication? Hey, he was worshipped and honored. That's his business, you know. And so you guys, God hears the heartfelt fervent prayers of righteous men and women. And then Elijah is our example there. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. 
Man, this is to be encouraging to every one of us here. He was a man with a nature just like ours. That word nature is homeopathous. And man, isn't that comforting to know that he had like desires just like ours. Same sinful nature, same emotions, liability to weakness. When you read the, the account of Elijah in First uh, Kings 17 through 19, you see a guy that goes from the top of the world calling down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel and destroying the false prophets of Baal to going to the slumps of despair where he runs down to southern Israel and hides in a cave hoping that he will die. That's like bipolarism. Like way up here and way down here. Just kill me, Lord. I'm the only one left. And he gets me syndrome. I'm the only one. I'm the only prophet. I'm tired of being a prophet. And he gets me-centered. And the Lord says, don't you know that I have 700 prophets reserved in a cave who've not bowed the knee to Baal? You're not alone. Now get up out of this cave. I'm comforting you, but now it's time to go. I've got work for you to do. How many of us are just like Elijah? As we're wrapping up, we'll read the story of Elijah here in 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, where he bowed down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. So you begin to see earnest, heartfelt prayer, bowing down, face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Let's look at that picture again, just so we can get the, the full feel of this. Elijah's praying, head between his knees. Seven times he says, go look, there is nothing. 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 Go. Are you getting tired of that yet? Imagine being the servant that had to go look and see that there was nothing. <laughs> Go again. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, wait, 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 there is a cloud. It's as small as, as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to King Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Man, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. But you know, it was almost like he heard the call of Jesus a thousand years later. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. If you ask anything in my name, according to my will, it will be done. And in 1 Kings 18, 18, the Lord says, go and pray and prepare Ahab because there will be rain coming. We pray according to the word of God. And when we pray according to the word and the will of God, God will do it. But we need to be persistent. Even when it starts to annoy people. Even when it starts to say, okay, when are we going to stop this charade, buddy? It's been six times. Just one more time. Just one more time. Let's pray. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, James tells us, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a man that prayed according to the word of God, even when he felt the pain. He, caused a, he prayed for a drought for three and a half years, that affected him. He's eating meat out of bird's claws, you know, and drinking out of a creek. And even that dried up. He's spending time with a widow whose son is going to die of starvation. And they're, they're suffering together. 
We pray according to the will of God, even if it hinders us or helps us. And God will answer. In closing, I have one more story for you. In 1857, there were 30,000 men who were idle in the streets of New York. Drunkenness was rampant and the nation was divided over slavery and was on the verge of a civil war. But God raised up a praying businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear. On September 23rd, 1857, he began a noontime prayer meeting on Fulton Street in the financial district of Manhattan. Out of a city of one million people, six people showed up and they were a half hour late. They were on Calvary Chapel time. The group decided to meet the next week, and this time there were 14. The next week there were 23. The following week there were 40 people, but within weeks the stock market had crashed, and there were thousands of business leaders that attended the the meeting daily. God moved so powerfully that the prayer meeting spread across the nation. And it's estimated that one million people were converted out of a nation of 35 million people, including 10,000 weekly conversions on Fulton Street in New York. Because of this, all kinds of radical missionary movements were born, even the Salvation Army in London, through the revival that God was doing in the United States. It's been said that people were saved out of such depravity that even minors were getting saved. And it's cool, you can actually see pictures online, someone shared on Facebook the other day, that they would take mules and horses way down deep into these mine shafts, kind of folding them up and taking them down in there to work in these mine shafts and essentially live underground. But all of these miners, the commands that they used to do were cuss words. The mules used to operate on cuss words, and as miners got saved, they wouldn't cuss anymore, and these mules weren't functioning. And so these mules had to be retrained. The whole nation had to kind of reprogram as hearts were taken out of darkness into the marvelous light. You guys, what does God want to do here? R.A. Torrey writes in his book, How to Pray, from the 1800s. He was a revivalist. He preached with D.L. Moody. He filled Charles Spurgeon's pulpit, Man of Prayer. And he writes in his book, We pray for revival but are we really ready are you guys ready what would god do if all of a sudden all of your coworkers got saved and all of a sudden they're needing biblical counseling and all of a sudden they're needing to be equipped and trained up in righteousness are you guys ready are we ready for this He writes in his book, you wives that pray for your husbands to be saved, do you really want them to get saved? Do you know what that would mean for your life? Your life would change. And there might be some hard things. Are you really ready? We need to go to prayer, church. Even if God's heart is burning for a a revival and to set us on fire, are we ready for what that would even mean? I pray we are. Would you hear the plea of one of the pastors of this church? Wednesday night, we gather to pray for this town and this nation. Where are you? We all have things to do. We all have things to do. We all work long days, including myself, before Wednesday. Where are you? The fervent, effective prayer of righteous men and women. What could God do? We can't even dream it. We can't even imagine it. 
Let's dream the dreams of God together. Amen. Let's stand together. Heather, come on up. Easy, come on up. And we'll close in worship.